Oh, Luke, good to have you back. Good to be back, brother. Thanks for uh, inviting me back. Wasn't expecting it so soon. Well, uh, I've got to admit, it's been um, eight weeks since I've done an episode, which is mm. kind of a shameful thing, but a consequence of busyness, Easter, yeah, everything else that's been going on. So it's been um, it's been a hectic time, but it has. Look, we are back, and the reason why I got you back is your our episode around uh, workers in the new religion was one of the more popular episodes that uh, we have put out into the ether. And Great. so I was fairly encouraged by that. I got a lot of positive feedback from um, people listening to that. Okay. And if anything, understanding more about how toxic and dangerous this ide- ideology is mm. um, in modern culture and probably not quite getting it on that level and maybe just going along with it, what I think yeah. a lot of people are doing and then, mm. you know, watching this content and then understanding some of the origins of, of um, you know, critical theory and critical race theory and intersectionality and, the, and then eventually, the, you know, the social justice movement and the BLM mm. movement and, and people talking about it from that perspective and just getting a better understanding of the roots of it and, mm-hmm. and really how it affects everyone. It's not just even a religious impact. And more recently, um, you know, you got me into into Vodi Buckham. I've been I've just finished you know reading his book, which is um, Fault Lines, which he released just fairly recently, I believe. Mm. Uh, phenomenal book. I encourage anyone who wants to be real about understanding um, the ch- the challenges around the 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 critical race theory and and that intersectionality piece, and and even the BLM movement. You want to understand yeah, it is excellent. Then read that book yeah. uh, and get an unbiased opinion from it. And it's w- worth mentioning as well that he is a black he is man. So it's not another white guy you know, <laughs> casting their biases upon people in in another book. It, it was very much um, mm. an unbiased approach with regards to that. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's part of the the power of of him expressing these ideas and views. On, on CRT and, and and those kinds of theories, um, yeah. I mean, uh, it's always obviously easy to criticise someone who's not a person of colour when they're critiquing that movement. Uh, it's much harder to criticise criticise somebody who who is a person of colour, a black person in his case. Um, yeah, critiquing the movement and pointing out the fallacies of it and. Uh, the inconsistencies of it and, and the dangers of it. Yeah, it kind of um, links up with what we talked about in the last episode around um, the white fragility piece and how if you're particularly a white male, you don't even get to have a discussion around these issues. Um, you're disqualified right, uh, right. upon the get-go. So right. it's good to have someone who, who can't be rebutted unfairly like that and, and, and discounted straight away and be able to have his voice out there and understand mm. precisely what the history is around it and his history and, and you know, cutting down you know, all of these falsehoods that really are, are a big part of, of that movement. But mm. So uh, people may notice we're in a bit of a different location as well. We are. We are in a secret location. I can't, <laughs> I can't tell you where we are, but it's pretty exciting that we've actually been able to get into some space, um, which is, which is a, a huge blessing for us on this platform. So hopefully you enjoy the new, the new set and the new... Um, the new look 
rather than just staring at uh, at computer screens, which has been half of what we've been doing over most of the episodes through Zoom. Mm. Oh, my uh, Siri is trying to talk to me. But um, so we're in a new location. So I'm pretty excited by what, what else we've got coming through for our own will in the next couple of months. As I said before, it's been a pretty quiet six weeks. I apologize. The content hasn't been there. Uh, I'm learning as I go about what I can and can't do from a time restriction perspective. But uh, make no mistake, this is still very much alive. And I'm hoping that we, you know, learn from what well, I learned from some of these things and we get more and more content out to you guys on a more frequent level. But uh, as I said, I really thank Luke for coming back. Luke was on an episode um, uh, not too long ago called Wokeism, the New Religion. It was one of the more popular episodes and hence why I decided to invite Luke back. Uh, if you don't know who Luke is, um, I'd probably encourage you to stop this right now and go back to Wokeism, the New Religion and watch that first. I think it's probably pretty important to watch that first rather than uh, or li- listen to that first, whatever you're mm. consuming our content on, Spotify, YouTube, etc. But the reason why I got Luke back again tonight was to talk more and get maybe into more detail tonight. We really yeah. only touched mountaintops last time. We did, yeah. With regards to the, um, the, the wokeism movement. And really, we just kind of grazed the top and jumped around a little bit. There wasn't a lot of depth to what we're talking about, which is what we want to try and get into a bit tonight is more around the um, the roots of, of this stuff and where some of it came from. And, and drawing back to what I was saying before around Fault Lines, the, the Vodi Bakum book, he really opened my eyes to how, how anti-God some of these movements actually are and also particularly where the BLM movement came from and who founded the BLM movement. And the BLM movement, when you look into it, doesn't actually have a lot to do with uh, human rights or social justice from from sort of a racial perspective. It's more of a it's it's a gender of, of ideas and trying to change um, trying to change people and turn them away from common sense. In my opinion, you know, you look at the George Floyd murder mm. and the impact that had on North America and even people mm. here in Australia, which. Won't go into how bizarre it, that is. Yeah, well, culturally. It, it, it did kind of go global after that. Yeah. Um, that movement. I think the George Floyd really was a flashpoint for this CRT movement. Um, it, it that's really what brought it into the mainstream. I think of people's thinking and the mainstream of the culture. Really, before that, it was probably consigned to the uh, hallways of the Ivy League elite academic institutions and just lived in there. You know, this stuff was cooked up in the 80s um, and uh, kind of sat idle for several decades. Um, It was really pioneered in Harvard Law School in the mid to late 80s. Um, Robin D'Angelo is one of the main protagonists of it. She's um, since become very mainstream and her material is, is now widely read and she's one of the main... Um, actors in terms of prosecuting the CRT case, um, responsible for bringing it very much more into the mainstream. And I, I think, um, yeah, prior to George Floyd, it was there, but it was very much in the background and, and it wasn't something that was in the culture, per se. And that really, I think, was a flashpoint that galvanised that whole movement and, and a lot of this stuff started to then come out um, a lot more forcefully and a lot more... Um, just pervasively through a lot of media channels and, yeah, BLM sort of co-opted a lot of the ideas that come out of CRT um, to advance their movement. Um, 
yeah, I think that's um, maybe where a lot of it started. Uh, it does go back further than than just that. From um, from the eighties, there's uh, several stages of development of the whole theory. Um, we started in. Um, if you want to break it down a little bit more, probably in the twenties with the Frankfurt School and a guy called Max Horkheimer, who was the main um, prosecutor of the critical movement and the critical theory and bringing that into academia um, in Germany. And then it came from there over, well, he went to Switzerland first, I think, and then, and then eventually it made its way over to the US and into the US academic institutions. Um, kind of was percolating there for a while. And then it had a sort of a, a morphing to critical... Um, CLT critical legal theory prior to the to the eighties and then morphed into critical race theory and critical gender theory even so we had these new theories about race and about gender um, being uh, social constructions more than anything and and not being inherently related to biology anymore that kind of um, thinking that's where it's originated from so the CT what for, that, for people listening, what 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 fundamentally is CT? What, what was critical theory, which is the you know the the, the basis for this movement? Yeah, is so it, that's based on postmodernism or Marxist type um, ideology, is it, it? Or it's a it's it precedes postmodernism. So postmodernism came to the fore more in like the sixties, fifties, sixties in France with guys like uh, Jacques Derrida and and others, um, and that's more. Uh, to do with deconstruction of truth and getting rid of the merit, uh, what we call the meta narratives, um, and ultimately breaking down truth itself so that there's nothing that's absolute in that sense anymore, and yeah. there's no overarching narrative anymore. Um, but postmodern modernism does feed into things, but prior to that is critical theory. Um, it does have its roots more in. Marxist ideology, so Marx being from the 19th century preceded the origins of CT, um, and yeah, if you look into CT, um, a lot of its foundational principles, it, it's about critiquing the structures of society, right, the institutions of society as they are, and trying to um, understand them and break them down from a... Um, uh, from a let's say an oppress uh, an oppressor versus oppressed type paradigm class. Um, so it's trying to re or crit critically analyze our societal institutions from that point of view specifically. Um, that's sort of the, the genesis of it. But prior to that, um, it does really get its roots ultimately probably from Marxism in that the main goal of Marxism would be to break down um, classes in societies. So we're talking about abolishing any notion of class in a society is the, is the ultimate aim of a Marxist um, regime so that uh, essentially everybody is on the exact same plane and, and really, if we go into Marxism... Um, Really, that was about economic classes. And so, you know, the wealthier oppressing the poor. Um, 
and that, that that came back to some of that distribution of wealth type ideology right. around you know a lack right. of uh, uh, or equity right yeah. exactly yeah. exactly so um well i and i think it's important that we define our terms clearly also in these discussions because sure. sometimes um these uh people use the same terms that we would use or that we would heard would have heard being used and we sometimes assume that they have the same meaning to them in the way that we use them but they don't so things like equity versus equality um what's the difference and i like to break it down and think about it in terms of um a good example to think about what's the difference between say equity and equality and, and equality was the main outcome of marxism right we want everybody being uh, economically equal um so and we'll get we'll get it's get to the point of extending that to where we are today with the CRT movement but so we understand um, where a lot of this originated from um, going back to Marxist ideology um, the the difference between equity and equality is essentially um, let's say you've got two students student A and student B um, Student A requires one hour of tutoring to achieve an A grade standard. Student B requires five hours of tutoring to achieve the same A grade standard. When we talk about equity, we're saying both students probably should get the same amount of tutoring. And then what they do with that will be the result um, based on their, their abilities and so forth and their effort and work. Uh, so, so to be... Um, to be equal and to be equitable, both student A and B should get the same amount of tutorage. When we talk about equality, what we're saying is, no, we're going a step further than saying it needs to be equitable. We're saying we have to have the same outcome. We have to force the same outcome. And so um, student B will get five hours of tutoring and student A will get one, one hour. Um, so we're going to force an outcome so that they both achieve the same standard by adding giving more resources to student B. Um, at which point you've left equity and you're now going for equality. So that's a maybe a, an analogy or a, a way of understanding what we're talking about and what the differences in terms are. So I think it's pretty um, well understood and it'll be well accepted that we all agree that things should be um, equitable people and we should have equality uh, equal opportunity e rather equality than, of opportunity yeah, rather than equal outcomes that's right that's right so the pursuit is the pursuit is for equal opportunity not manufacturing equal outcomes correct yeah. because when you start manufacturing or artificially enforcing equal outcomes there's a whole lot of um, complications that arise out of that and um, major problems let's let's say yeah and this is where you're getting some really strange behaviour in the corporate sector as well around equity and diversity and yep. inclusion. and That's right. Quotas, gender quotas, all this sort of stuff. So we're moving away from awarding things based on, let's say, merit, um, so a meritocracy, and we're moving towards um, a model where everything has to be <coughs> equal and so therefore it's not so much who's the best person for the position or job or whatever it might be but how do we make sure we have exactly the same 
How, how is this? We're getting a bit off on a tangent here. We'll, we'll, we'll hook back around. Yeah, it. we will. We'll hook it, around, it, but, it, but I want to ask one more question quickly. Yeah, how, it is all related. How, but but yeah. how is that? How is that equality of outcome strategy, strategy? How can that exist in a capitalist society? Can't. To me, and, and again, I'm only a layman, right? But to me, I'm, I'm not sure how that works. How, how is that supposed to be sustainable? Yeah, it's not. Um, capitalism by nature, um, it, it, it's going to create a hierarchy. It's going to create a classes yeah. of, of individuals. Yeah. Um, individual wealth, let's say, um, based on all, all kinds of things that those individuals are doing in terms of their output, their let's say their work ethic, all all kinds of things like that. So, capitalism aims to reward. Um, Work, creativity, innovation, entrepreneurship. On merit. On merit, yeah. Um, where something more like a communist socialist type system they, they, would they, be looking for they the pretend equal outcome for all people. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the socialist communist structure pretends to have um, distribution of wealth and it and and yeah. equality across the board, but it always ends up with the top That's the right. top tier holding all yeah. the money and all the power. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you only got to watch um, that documentary we talked about on the phone, um, Putin's Palace, <laughs> yes. to see how much of a farce. Yes. I think the great lie or the great um, misnomer is that um, I think there's, there's this, um, you know, there's this utopian narrative that we hear from... Um, communists or socialists to say if, we, if it was only done properly it would work we just haven't had it done properly yet but the, the whole i think point of it is that it can't be done properly because by nature there's flawed man's in, involved there's flawed individuals yeah. right there's sinful people yeah. trying to, as there are simple people in capitalism which is why you get sure. wealth and equality in capitalism but yeah. to think that you don't get wealth and equality in socialism or communism would be naive foolish because that's exactly what happens it actually you know if you look at um you know, look, uh, maybe at, at Cuba and Venezuela and you know, Stalin, Stalinist socialist Russia. Uh, you know, look at Mao and China. I mean, Venezuela. Every every, every instance, yeah. it just it, it ends up in in an autocracy. It ends up in starvation and death. Ultimately, never ends well. So, and sometimes even genocide. Yeah, mm. yeah. So uh, I want to go back again to some of the terminology around the uh, evolution of. CT into you know eventually the BLM, which is probably the more right. recent manifestation, yeah, of the ideo of the ideology, yeah. Uh, one of the things that really struck out to me in um, fault lines by Vody was that when you look at the data, which was the cat. So let's I'll take it back a step. So what was the catalyst for BLM? Well, the narrative was that George Floyd was murdered horrifically horrifically like no one mm, argues that mm. absolutely it was a horrible crime mm. and he's in jail now as yeah, he should be of course and he he should be and that was a horrible death and could have been avoided absolutely like we all we all established that but out of that came this narrative that was used i believe as as the the catalyst uh for the agenda to take place and that narrative was that there, there is a, there is a, a, a law enforcement representation in each state in North America, and certainly in some of these states, that are inherently racist, and they're going from street to street looking for black 
black um, citizens mm. and essentially arresting them or, or, or committing racial, racial, um, racial crimes against them. Mm. Um, and if anything, you know, black, black people were dying as a consequence of that, either through being, you know, arrested, you know, with brute force and, 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 and um, disproportionate force, as well as, you know, some of the crimes that were going on. But one of the things that Vody goes into, he goes into the hard data on this. He does. And man, is it an eye Some inconvenient facts. There is some real inconvenient facts around, around that. And it's just not there. It's just not there. And I'm talking about, you know, um, at that point in time. It just wasn't there. There just isn't... Mm. The, the data just wasn't there to support a movement of that size to say there was systemic racism in the police forces of North America... And that they were going from room to room, ripping black people out of their beds and shooting no. them. Well, it became a, a media hysteria, didn't it? Almost that it yeah. reached a crescendo where it was just like there's there's white policemen looking for unarmed black men everywhere in, in America, around every corner, you know, so they could shoot them and kill them. And it just became almost hysterical. Well, he yeah, even he even brought some cases of, forward. He brought mm. some cases forward where mm. there was actually um, <laughs> in one state, and I don't want to misrepresent the facts here, but it's worth reading. In one state, you were certainly at a higher risk of dying as a white police officer than you were, than you were as a black civilian. Mm, that's right. Um, and, and even the ratio of armed and unarmed and all these things. But I don't want to get into that too much at the moment. But so, maybe, so maybe on that point, before we move on, if I could, maybe I could just point out that there was a study done um, over there and they, they asked just people from the general community about um, their... Uh, understanding and um, their thoughts on uh, crime in in terms of uh, let's say um, unarmed black African American men being being killed by by the police force and and most people um, were of the belief that it was somewhere in in the realm of you know how often was this happening somewhere in the realm of between one thousand and ten thousand per year were being killed. Um, and the actual data was it was in the realm of I think it was ten. Um, so they were out by orders of magnitude in their thinking about what what they their perception of how much of a problem this really was. Of course, totally because it was blown way out of proportion by the media and you know, all that sort of stuff at the time, and it created this completely false narrative and idea of you know there are all these unarmed black you know African Americans being been shot at and killed you know, every week or something by white police officers is just simply not true. I mean, of course, there are isolated incidents, but there are also isolated incidents of of white unarmed men being being killed too. Um, and there is a very similar incident to the George Floyd incident, actually a few years earlier in Texas that I read about, um, which of course you don't hear in no, the media because no, <laughs> it doesn't no. suit the narrative. Yeah. But but he he was accosted by I think it was five police officers, and including one of them was a a black police officer who, who did the exact same thing had had the knee on, on the white guy's neck and yeah. basically ended up killing him, um, and we just didn't hear anything about it. Yeah, he's even saying that there was a there was a misrepresentation of actual facts in some of these cases as yeah. well from the media around oh, just to clear distortions um, and black yeah. people being killed in their Untru homes omitting yeah. information around them being armed and firing shots at law enforcement That's right. on entry total lack um, of context yeah. you know uh, purposely withholding rap sheets of the perpetrators that have been killed by you know 
armed conflict with law enforcement. Mm. And so there was a lot of manipulation of facts and, and so on and so forth. And, and I want to say something as well. Racism exists. Of course. Of course and, it does. And we, and we Racism mentioned this exists. last time. Yeah. We need to be very clear on that. Yeah. It's a problem everywhere in every country, yeah. in every people yeah. group in the world, unfortunately. Yeah. But should, should law enforcement officers be obligated to get on their knees and wash black people's feet? Probably not. No. No. Probably not. Um, and that's and that's kind of what it got to. It sort yeah. of powered in this insanity. And I don't want to get too much on the BLM. No, no. Um, so going going back, um, do you what want we're to, saying? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to circle back with the yeah go. the Marxist thing and how that ties in? Because sure, we we're talking a, a bit about um, let's call it Marxism one point which is very much about the wealth um, distribution of wealth and yeah, and 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 dividing up. Um, classes based on on wealth, um, yeah, and trying to eliminate that. Um, and I think what we're seeing in these new movements um, with CRT in particular is is something like a so it's like a Marxism two point where it's like it's the very same ideas, um, it's just re- being reconstituted and applied in a different context to race instead of you know wealth. So they failed with the wealth yeah. um, attempt. Good point. And it's like now it's sort of come back for a second go, but Surgeons. we've transferred it from wealth to yeah mm. to race, mm. and we're applying the exact same ideology. So it's very interesting. Yeah, and I do want to mention another another book as well that I know you're reading right now. I've got to get around to reading it, but you sent me some of his material which I listened to over the last week, and I was very very impressed with. Not only the content of, of of this guy's material, but just also his his ability to unpack ideas, and it's Douglas Murray, mm. who's recently released the book um, War, War on the West, West. Yeah. and also had the Madness of Crowds, yeah, and the Strange Death of Europe before that, yeah. And very, Douglas very Douglas Murray is uh, from the UK, so again, it's probably another vantage point to look at things from um, from from the more of a European perspective rather than. North American, which is mm-hmm. sort of where a lot of a lot of stuff does come from, but Douglas uh, Douglas Murray makes a really good point um, around how this is specifically a Western problem, and one of the things that he talks about in one of the interviews with Jordan Peterson on the Jordan Peterson bod, uh, podcast was that what what he finds perplexing. This is Douglas Murray is that if you're going to start if you're going to start with the notion of um, equality and breaking down your, uh, what did you say before? It was um, like not a caste system, but your class classes. That's class, what I was class looking class for. Yeah. If you're going to talk about breaking down classes, you're probably not going to start with the West. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, you're probably going to go, okay, you might start with China or you might start with India, mm. you know, or you might start in some of these countries that, Really, the, the 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 Christian foundation of the Western institution, mm. uh, the Judeo-Christian institution, has been one of the most beneficial to equality, clearly uh, in the modern world. And that, and just the empirical data bears that out over and over and yeah. over again. If you look, if you go country by country around the world, the most prosperous, wealthy countries. Yeah, not they're perfect. All, they're not perfect. Yeah, they're, you know, the West has its flaws. It needs to be critiqued in that sense, but. The silliness is is people from the West um, 
critiquing the West to the point where we're throwing everything out and saying yeah. we need to start again, and that that's the foolishness of it. Um, but yeah, if you if you look around the world and you look at the the most prosperous, wealthy, free countries, they're all countries that have um, a link to a Judeo-Christian history and yeah. foundation, and often a, a Protestant foundation. Yeah. You know, I just want to say something quickly because if you if you're listening to this, you might be thinking to yourself, what, why why is Aaron releasing more content on this on what is a, a channel around promoting uh, traditional manhood and, and healthy masculinity and things like that? It, the reason for that is I believe this 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 war on or what I call this deconstruction. Mm, that's what it is of our, yeah. of our current culture and of our history and of everything that 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 has really built the freedoms that we enjoy today here in the West um, on an unprecedented level in modern history and the quality of life that we enjoy on an unprecedented level in, in, in modern history. The deconstruction of that, I think, has a particular impact on men right now in the current culture, yeah. and more importantly is particularly nasty towards white men. Oh, yeah, we're the pariahs at the moment, the white yeah. heterosexual males. Yeah. And if you throw in white heterosexual Christian male, yeah. well, then you're really a pariah. You are a pariah and you're at you're odds. You're a dinosaur. You're at odds with, and we talked about some of the words that people would you know, cast upon us um, to be on that side of the, of the idea, of the war of ideas. But it, it, is, it is quite a pernicious. Oh, yes, it's insidious. So I just wanted to mention that. So the reason for that is I think it is a serious risk, and not only to, to white men, but black men and men of all race, mm. uh, because the, there are elements of, of the militant feminist movement in there, uh, undertones, and the BLM has roots in that. Yeah, um, yes, it does. And so while, while I, think, I think men have a lot to answer for um, as, a, as, a, as a group, I think that... The, the nature of, of, of this movement is particularly pernicious towards, towards men and it's creating a culture that is confusing for men and is, leave, and is creating monsters of men as well. And I'll say this, and something that really stuck out to me that I read recently from, from Jordan Peterson was that if you think a, weak, if you think a, if you think a strong man's dangerous, wait till you see a weak one. And I think that... When, when men are put in corners and are unable to interact with their culture and feel that they are, are contributing to society and that they are a positive contributor to society and they understand what their part is in society and they're not having to go against the, their, their, their natural thoughts and feelings for, for who they are created to be, it can be, it can be a very dangerous situation where you get a lot of men that are quite confused. Mm. And so I don't want to prattle on too much about that, but that's the reason why... I do focus on this as part of this platform, is I, I do have concerns around that. Yeah, absolutely, and the demonisation of men yeah. in general in society. Yeah. Um, it reached an all-time high, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think men are often confused um, about w what their place in society is these days, getting mixed messages. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a big problem. Mm. And the more voices we have countering that, the better. Yeah, for sure. So getting back to, to what we're talking about on, on the – we went over to Douglas Murray, but before that we're chatting about the, um, the, the system with regards to classes and so on and so forth. 
and particularly in the West, and, and trying to break down those classes and create an equal playing field, in their opinion. I mean, Luke, what do you... I mean, right now, what do you think... Where do you think this is at in the West right now? Do you think people are, are, are sort of starting to wake up a bit and say, you know, is this... I've heard it said that this is a, a very noisy minority pushing this agenda, uh, but really when you talk to your average people, most people don't subscribe to this. This ideology. Would you say that's true? Um, it's a little hard to judge at the moment. There is so much white noise out there and so many voices, um, so many platforms. Um, you, you would have to think that the silent majority, yeah, I think is not persuaded by some of this. Um, but it is, it is hard to know. I think it's interesting in the political domain at the moment and, and we're about to go through a... A federal election here, yeah. um, which is interesting. We won't go down that rabbit hole. No, no, no. too much. But um, yeah, there's. It, it's interesting seeing some of these issues come up in in that um, sphere, and and maybe issues of workism and how work around politicians getting. Um, I saw a few clips recently, um, you know, that were doing the rounds regarding, um, you know. How do we define a woman? Let's let's say, you know, can you please define a woman for me to, you know, um, bureaucrats, politicians, and other bureaucrats, the different levels of government, and, and yeah, from US to the UK to here in Australia, and just unable to give a, a clear, straight answer and that kind of thing. Uh, it's a worry that we're seeing that at those levels. Um, this sort of, they're frightened. They're frightened to speak out and to say what is what they know is true um, and that's a concern that it's reaching those levels where a politician or let's say in in the case here recently it was Dr Brendan Murphy who's our most senior health bureaucrat nationally and he was asked the question directly and just couldn't, couldn't give a direct answer and had to take it on notice um, so he knows what the answer is but he's he's afraid to say it for fear of offending so that's that's a big problem with in terms of it's showing us where we're at at the moment with curtailing of freedom of speech, freedom of expression of ideas, ability to disagree with, with the woke mob. Um, so it, I'm I'm not sure to be honest. I um, I think we'll, we'll just see how it plays out. But there's some worrying signs, but there's there's also good signs too of something starting to shift a bit. I think so. Yeah, I think watch this space. We'll, we'll see keep doing our part yeah i reckon some of the gender stuff is really starting to grate people because now it's entering that sports area right I yeah think that's the big one that so has the, become the, a bit of a transgender yeah debate around um mm. access to men's and women's sports mm. um is is a big part of discussion right now and i think it's it's certainly it's certainly putting people on on, on either side of the camp pretty fast yeah it is it's it's that one is it is an excellent um, issue because it sort of it forces people to take a position almost, and it's interesting watching sort of the, some of the diehard leftist feminists trying to deal with that issue. Yeah, that's a tricky one. Because that gets a bit sticky for them. It does. It does, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, the the trans transgenderism and maybe the, the women in sport might be the first real major 
collective pushback we start to see in some of these domains against some of this nonsense. Um, yeah. Where you've seen some of um, some of the female athletes starting to speak out a bit and say, yeah, I actually don't think that's fair. <laughs> Having males competing in female events and winning all the you know trophies and breaking all the records. Um, so there is some semblance of common sense still there, I think, in people where they recognise that this is probably starting to go a bit too far at that point. Um, and they recognise there is a fundamental difference, biological difference between a man and a woman when it comes to certain issues. Yeah. So that's, that's good. That's encouraging. Yeah, it is encouraging because we're entering a new realm of madness if, it's, if that's accepted. Like, I don't know how... I just think if, if, you're, if you're a female who has trained your whole life to compete in a certain sport and then you just have some bloke, mm. be careful what I say here, but you have an individual rock up who identifies as female, mm. who's six foot six, mm. you know. He's got and, some extra muscle. And, and, you know, particularly if it's in these sports where, you know, our physical strength is a key indicator for success. Mm. You know, it's different if it's, um, if it's chess or something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but physical endurance sports and yeah, of course, physical power sports. Yeah, um, you know, yeah. swimming, running, athletics. Yeah, you know, all those kinds of things. It's yeah. Uh, I mean, let me ask you this: How do you feel with with two girls? Mm. You know, um, <laughs> what what? How, how do you feel about them potentially one day lining up against you know maybe a biological male in there? I think that'd be the end of competition sport. Yeah, I, I don't reckon you'd be too too happy about it. Well, we've talked about the death of comedy. Yeah, that'd be the death of sport. Yeah, particularly, yeah, particularly when you are again like. So what you've got? It's 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 not just the people competing in that point in time either. You've got a whole history of women who have worked incredibly hard to be, you know, the number one in their sport. And they've created world records, particularly from Olympic level or even at a state level or whatever it might be. All of those records get obliterated. Obliterated. Mm. So it's not just it's it's again it's a deconstruction of you know all, all of the all of the fair rules of engagement that everyone else has had to abide by. Yes. And then you're saying no because of because of a fear of retaliation. We're going to let this individual um, engage in this sport outside of the framework that we've all agreed on for the last 200 years. Yeah, we're going to throw all that out and we're going to say that that individual's personal opinion, personal feelings, that they feel this is what they want to be, who they are, that, that's going to trump everything else. Yeah, so to answer your question, uh, what, what words are they describe that? Disappointed? I don't know. Yeah. You'd be disappointed. How are you supposed to... I mean, if I was a father right now of a daughter who was at a state or Olympic level in competition and I had something like that happening, I mean, how, how, would, you, how would you console that person? Like, I don't know. Mm. Um, that would be incredibly frustrating and difficult and particularly confusing if that individual does subscribe even to these ideologies mm. and they're having someone come in and really turn the whole game on its head. Yeah. So I think that, again, you know, the waters are getting muddied more and more and more. And it goes, goes back to my previous point that this is affecting everyone. No one's immune here. Mm. And so when you think, oh, I'm just going to keep to my corner and I'm not going to worry about this stuff and I don't really agree with it, 
but it doesn't really affect me at the end of the day. If my HR department wants to have these inclusion diversity policies, that's fine. They can go nuts. That mm. doesn't affect me. Mm. But we're seeing this creep now where it does affect us. Yeah. It's affecting you know friends and family and, and institutions and organisations and, yeah. and, and all of the things that are so culturally imperative to our way of life. And so that's why I'm, I'm adamantly against it. I think yeah. it's a bad idea. I, I, yeah. I thought it was a bad idea when I first saw it. And I'm happy to be right now on the wrong side of our history as they say it. But I guarantee you, in 10, 20 years' time, this is going to be a really stupid idea. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to eat itself alive ultimately. And um, hopefully we'll come full circle and we return to some rationality and yeah. sense thinking. But um, who knows how long that might actually take. Uh, but I think we are on the right side of history. Yeah. Um, so no doubt about that. Yeah. And more recently I saw an article um, in New South Wales. The New South Wales government uh, is looking to have a list of banned phrases or words. Yes, including the mate. Mate. The Aussie mate. Mate is... is now no longer considered... Uh, is banned. Yes, it's offensive now. So it is I, I don't know how you possibly arrive at that. Um, it's not inclusive. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not inclusive enough. Yeah, which is weird. It feels inclusive. Mate mm, is such a does. general. I mean, you hear it used by women and a, men all the time, and such a general phrase, a general is. term for it is almost endearment. But it has a some kind of gender connotation to it, so it, it, out it goes. So, again, a further assault on the culture. Yep. specifically our culture, you know, to, to not be able to say mate when you're in a government room yeah, in South Wales is... It's insanity. It's, it's just, we're just seeing more and more examples of it, unfortunately, popping up everywhere. Um, as I was saying before, once it starts reaching such a widespread audience and it starts to penetrate into corridors of power and, you know, and the highest levels of um, private enterprise and, and government institutions and and educational institutions and so forth. Yeah, it's like a virus sort of <laughs> spreading everywhere that, well, and will all ultimately be affected by that. It's funny you say virus because I, I do think... Excuse me. I do I do think that's a fair... Characterisation? Characterisation of it. And I, as you know, I'm reading, I'm reading Gad Saad's book at the moment um, mm. and I, I think that he may have been one of the first to coin that that, that illustration virus. of it as the mind virus, because I'm reading his book, The, um, the Parasitic Mind, mm. and he does equate it to a virus, obviously not literally, yeah. Um, yeah. but he, he refers to, because he's a professor, so he's, in acad he's an academic, he's come out of the academic institutions, mm. uh, and he, he has been perplexed by the number of highly intelligent individuals who have been... Yeah infected by this That's virus right. and then there's some highly intelligent extremely intelligent individuals elon that, calls it a mind virus he does he does and rightly so he's he's recognized it um and there are there are some extremely bright individuals who in their in their domain and you know on a given day are, are brilliant people but they're just this it has this ability to it's like a virus it sort of takes over people and uh and causes them to start losing all sense of reality and uh, rationality in, in certain areas. 
um, believing all sorts of nonsense. It's, it's quite remarkable. People change too. Like I, I've witnessed people change. Yeah. When they've encountered this this ideology and allowed it to to manifest um, in their consciousness, you know, and mm. I think that's sad because mm. if we can't have <laughs> if we can't have rational, critical thinking and robust, honest discussion mm. around these things, then we have lost more than we realise. And right now, we can't do that. Well, I can't do that. No. So I can't talk to people who subscribe to this ideology and have an honest and rational discussion without being called well you'd be the same a bigot yeah. or yeah the bigot the narrow-mindedness yeah um, that, that sort of thing yeah yeah um yeah it's a sad it's a sad state when you get to that point um that we've lost the ability to have free thoughtful open discussions and exchanges of ideas which is what great strong democracies are built on when you lose that ability to freely express ideas and to have different opinions, um, yeah, it, it's a it's a slippery slope. It's not a good place to be in. Um, I think a lot of these social media platforms are becoming, particularly like Twitter, has become an echo chamber for this sort of stuff. Um, the radical left's taking over it, which is pretty interesting to see anyone sort of stepping up to the mark. Yes, yes. Seeing the um, it up. The criticality of something like Twitter in terms of its influence in the public square, it is the public square of our day almost, you know, the digital platforms um, where a lot of these ideas get expressed in the culture. So, yeah, that'll be interesting to uh, to see what happens there. But uh, I think it's a good development. It's a positive development. Yeah, I, I think that Douglas Murray talks about being polite. So he talks about, particularly in, in one of his interviews, that the assault on people not for their father's crimes or the cancellation of people, historical people, not for their father's crimes or their crimes, but for ancestral four or five generations previously mm. and seeing people be cancelled mm. and their art be cancelled. Mm. And whatever is a byproduct of their life be cancelled. Yeah. Now, he uses that. He talks about that, and then he goes on to say that if you're gonna if you're gonna cancel me, and you're gonna cancel my family, you're gonna cancel my lineage, and you're gonna have no respect for me, and no respect for for my ideas, and for my freedom of speech, and for my people. Why should I have any respect for yours? Mm. Now, I don't, I don't subscribe to that personally. Right, mm. but he's got a point because I think up until right now we've been fairly polite in this. We we have allowed mm. ourselves to be cancelled. Yeah, yeah, we've been extremely tolerant. I would say, uh, ironically, the ones who are, are claiming the tolerance are the most intolerant. Yeah, of course. And 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 to your point before is that we we now operate out of a fear of reprisal. Mm. People are biting their tongues. Yeah, they are. They're holding back. They're not saying what they know to be true, and so demonstrably true. Yeah, and so getting getting to to Douglas Murray's point is that there's going to come a time where there is no more room for politeness. Yeah, and that's a dangerous place to go. It is starts to ratchet up, and people start to feel uh, if I can't have my views heard, if I can't express my views in a 
in a polite forum, in a in yeah. a fair, you know, and reasonable forum. Uh, I have to find other ways to express it. Um, not a good thing. No, and that's where you get you do get radicalized groups and yeah. all types of chaos, and it moves into nonsense. Yeah, um, you know, yeah. It's what can be unfathomable as well. So, yeah, unfathomable. So, so that's interesting. But yeah, so one of the things that really um, I found quite fascinating about this as well was when you look into it. We talked we talked a little bit a, a while ago um, around where the West sits on a global stage with regards to equality and and just general standards for classes and, and so on and so forth and, and, you know, having an equal playing field as much as possible, mm. where, where possible, right? Yeah, yeah. And the West sits fairly well in that space when compared to other institutions. Uh, it's way out in front. Way out in front. There's not even close. And one of the things I found, fa- one of the things I found interesting was that obviously the, sl- the slave trade was a, is a big part of some of these movements, is, is the... the um, the the sins the sins of slave slavery upon some of the the institutions and some of the nations that have perpetrated it and obviously the UK had a fairly robust slave trade going on as did, did as did other Western nations as did you know the Arabian Peninsula and other places but yeah. but one of the things I found interesting was that when slavery was abolished in the UK mm-hmm. in Britain mm-hmm. they made a conceded effort to go out and Fight slavery on the high seas. Yes, that's and right. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. So they would they would actually go out and intercept slave slave trading yeah, boats. They actually were patrolling the seas. Yeah. Look, looking looking yeah. for them. Yeah. Um, that's absolutely right. It was a very. It was more than just we should stop having slaves. It was actually we're going to actively go out and spend time, resources, money in actually breaking this whole industry down and yeah. eradicating it. Yeah. Um, from existence. And that that was very interesting to me. Yeah. So n- not only was it, oh, you you caught me. We do slavery, but now we're going to stop. Yeah. It was, yeah, you got us. Slavery is a terrible idea. We never should have done it. We're going to cease doing it. Mm. But now we're going to proactively go out there and enforce that that social standard. Yeah. On other countries using our world. using yeah. our waterways Use, and beyond. And, and our you know. influence. Yeah. You know, at that time, the British Empire was you know global and very influential and and was the turning point in history for slavery and, and abolishing in, in the Western hemispheres for sure. Uh, and I think it's important to point out and we need to note here that the driver of that, you know, like you look at, at guys like Wilberforce who were the leading prosecutors of the case, devoted his life to it. Um, this came out of the Christian worldview. Yeah. Right? This, this, this is... The main driver of it. That's why it was eradicated in the, in the West first. Okay. Yeah. So, again, we see that people like to flush over that and and diminish the significance of the Christian influence and Judeo-Christian worldview influence across the West throughout history. But uh, it's had a profound impact, and that was just one example of that. Um, the recognition that. All, all people are created in the image of God. All people are intrinsically valuable. Um, and all people, therefore, deserve freedom and autonomy. Hmm. Yeah. 
It doesn't fit the narrative, though, does it? No, no. I'd like to erase that. If, that if, any, if anything, most really people happen. most people put slavery upon a lot of Christian mm. icons, which I, I don't doubt for a second there was there was there was a lot of slavery going on, you know, and, and being done by people who were of faith. I, I'm sure there was. Sure, um, but the point would I think would be that they would be carrying those kinds of things out um, inconsistently with what a Christian worldview and what the scriptures would mm. be, you know, how those would be commanding us to live and to act. Um, One of the things that um, Vodi talks about in Fault Lines is he, he, he now lives in Zambia. Yeah. And he went back to Africa for the first time before he settled back in Zambia from, from the United States. and. When he went back there for the first time, they obviously took him on some sightseeing and, and he you know, learned more about his ancestry and his culture, African culture. And one of the things that he found out that was very, very, very polarising was that the slave trade was perpetrated by yes. Africans yes, on Africans. That's where it began. Before it even was exported into the West, it, it was happening in Africa. That's exactly right. Yeah, and so what it essentially... Which they, destroys the whole argument that it's always white people oppressing everybody else, right? It's, oh, now, it's, and, and look, that's just white, not true. white people benefited from that sure, trade. Um, sure, they And, and they, they, they were perpetrators in that, sure, obviously, you know, sure. and that goes without saying. But to say that they're the only ones no. that oppress other people... Whereas you, I never factually just not the case. Well, you don't think about history. things like that, and I, I never thought about that. I never thought, oh, yeah. I, I always assumed, well, the white people invaded indigenous yeah. lands, they took the local people, yeah, and they enslaved them and then sold them. Yeah, I never actually never penny ever dropped to me that there would actually be na- neighbors selling neighbors mm. um, for financial gain yeah. or whatever it might be. So that yeah. was another real eye opener around that racial piece. Mm. is, again, you know, not something that I've heard taught, you know, certainly not in my circles anyway. No, no, you won't hear that taught um, <laughs> or um, discussed. It's, it's, again, it's one of those things that doesn't suit the narrative mm. of our culture today. And the other thing I, that I found interesting was the difference between social justice, and I want to talk to you a bit about this, and social justice and the difference between that and biblical justice. Yeah. And how prevalent social the social justice movement now is in the christian church mm-hmm. uh, particularly in the charismatic church and again the pressure for pastors and elders and leaders of churches mm. to capitulate to this movement and this ideology and acknowledge it in the hope that they won't be cancelled or have repercussions from either their own congregation or from external forces Right, yeah. And that's something that we're seeing a lot more of now as well. Yes. And when you yeah. look at this movement being unrecognisable compared to biblical justice, mm. then you understand how anti, the anti-God yeah. the social justice movement is. Yeah. And therefore that makes that all, all the more concerning Yeah, that there's an acknowledgement of that inside yeah. the church. That's right, yeah. Yeah, it's um, it is finding its way into churches, unfortunately. Um, I guess with social justice, again, 
some of this comes down to terminology. It's important to define our terms. Um, and with social justice, it sounds good. And, of course, we want social justice in the sense of we want a better society, right? We want to live in a just society. Um, yeah. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, that would be a biblical kind of premise um, to have. I think that there's a distortion, though, in the way that the social justice movement, um, in the way that it operates, by the way that it characterises things and the outcomes it strives to achieve, um, particularly in the way that it likes to um, break down um, societal structures and classes and pit them against each other, um, and the way that it characterises um, justice as being, as we were saying earlier, um, really their version of justice is um, it's not equity, it's equality yeah. um, of everything, which, which is not really a biblical concept at all. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would, and, and let's say justice and fairness uh, are also different things that are often used interchangeably or confused. Um, if I could point to um, let's say a passage in Matthew 20 where Jesus tells a, a parable or story about a vineyard and the workers in the vineyard and these workers in the vineyard, each one of them is makes an agreement with the, the owner to, to work for X number of hours a day for you know, a denarii um, you know, payment and uh, the the interesting thing at the end of this is that at the end of the day they come back to the to the owner of the field and the vineyard and they they get their pay and and the ones that started early in the day are of course saying, well the guy that started later than me, yeah, you know, why why aren't I getting more than him? I've worked longer. Mm. But instead of you would expect maybe the response to be, oh yeah, that's not fair. He I'll give you more money. That's not the response. The response is no, we have because his his request was quite logical. Yeah. It is. Why, why, why should the guy that came last get the same as me? I've been right, here all day. Right, right. That's yeah. not fair, right? Yeah. That's unjust or that's unfair, right? So, mm-hmm. But the response of the, uh, the vineyard owner is, no, we, I made an agreement with you to give you this much for that much work. Here it is. Yeah. Right? Um, I made an agreement with this guy over here to give him this much for this much work. Yeah. So it's not unjust. You didn't – I've treated you fairly in that I, I've given you what we agreed, what you agreed – to work for, so I haven't been unjust to you in that. Um, I've stuck to my word and to our agreement, and it's interesting, you know, that um, you find that in scripture that uh, it's not about equity of outcome, uh, equality per se, or fairness per se. Um, yeah, each of them are giving given an opportunity to work. Um, for an agreed amount, and, and they did that. But yeah, it's um, it's interesting. Um, but it, we need to be careful, I think, in the church more broadly with some of these ideas of social justice and and, and where their roots really are and where, where it's coming from, because um, it is coming more from that um, equality of outcome philosophy. In, in many cases, well, I've even, I've that's, even that's heard, not a biblical form of justice. I've even heard it said it's 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 just it's it's actually revenge under the guise of justice, yeah, or vengeance under the guise of justice, right? Yeah, 
So it's actually an agenda yeah. to suppress it, and oppress right, yeah. uh, under the guise of justice. That's right, yeah. And, and setting up, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yep, setting up that narrative again, the oppressor oppressed and, and that kind of thing and, and trying to eradicate the oppressors. How do you, how do you say to a priest or a pastor or a leader of a church, how, how do you say to them around navigating social justice for someone who thinks of it as social justice in its purest form, okay, uh, in its plain speech, social justice. So justice for all. That's not a bad thing. You said that before, right? right? Sounds so good. that's a good... Yeah. How does the church navigate that? Because social justice should be on the forefront of every church's mind. Right. Okay? But how do you navigate that as a church leader? Because that's a difficult position to be in. So let's just use an example. It can be easy to just talk at, at an aerial view, but let's just use an example. So... I know for a fact that there was church leaders, certainly church leaders, who were under immense pressure to post the blackout on their social media page during BLM. Mm. Now, why, just talking candidly here, why wouldn't a pastor just post that and make it go away? Why, why abstain from doing that and run the risk of causing discourse in your church congregation as a consequence of that. Because the perception is straight away, my pastor doesn't care about black rights. Mm. My pastor doesn't care about justice for all. My pastor doesn't care about the black community. Mm. And particularly if you're, shouldn't matter what colour you are, but if you yeah. are white, it's even compounded yeah. by your intolerance mm. okay, and your ignorance. So how do you navigate that as a Christian? Because I think it's, that's a good point. Let's go beyond just even church leadership as Christians. How do you navigate that? Because that's, that's, to me, that's a difficult line to walk. Um, when the people who are judging you or watching you is a better term mm. don't understand that, that social justice terminology and what it stands for from mm -hmm. an ideology standpoint. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a challenging one. I think. Um, look, we as Christians, we need to be aware of what the biblical viewpoint of justice is, how justice is defined in Scripture, because that's our standard. So we don't want to be getting our definitions of justice, fairness, equality, etc., from the world, from the culture, because it's going to be false. It's going to be misleading. It's going to be distorted we have to go to, to scripture to define what justice is when we do that i think we're on much more solid ground and our first responsibility as christians is to be um, faithful to the truth of scripture above all else right so that's the first thing um i think i think we need to educate where we can about what is the true um genesis of the social justice movement where it where it comes from um and what it's striving to really do, um, why it's not a biblical form of justice. Um, and I think we really need to, we have a responsibility to accentuate the gospel in all of this, right? Um, the biblical gospel. Um, so that that's really 
that that lens through which everything should be done, and that's our primary responsibility, I think, as Christians and and for the pastor or the the church leader. You know, that's what it's got to come back to. It's got to come back to the truth of Scripture and and the gospel approach to these things. Because when you look at when you study Jesus in the Gospels, he was fairly inclusive in that what he came to do was to do away from the exclusivity of the religious types, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and saying that God is for Jew, Gentile and Greek, or the gospel is for Jew, Gentile and Greek, more accurately. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for the religiously educated. It's for the uncircumcised and circumcised. It's for all. That's right. And that that made people gasp, the idea that, Mm. that a Greek who used to you know, follow polytheistic gods, can suddenly follow Christ, mm. you know, or Roman, you know, who is the oppressor of our people, mm. can equally follow Christ. Yeah. So he, he was very inclusive yeah. in that respect. Right. But then, but then juxtaposed, he was extraordinarily exclusive. And what yeah. I mean by that, he would say, no one comes to the Father except through me. Right. right. And he would say things like... Um, let the dead bury the dead. Mm. You've got to come with me. Mm. This is an exclusive group. You're either with me or you're not. Yep. You can't be half in. No. You know, so he, 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 was, he was kind of both in a way, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Um, I suppose thinking through um, when we say inclusive, yes, I think the gospel is it's the great leveller, right? The gospel is the great level up because it, it reduces all of us to the same level because we're all essentially sinful, right? Yeah. By nature. Yeah. And we're all guilty of that. And yeah. We all have the same problem and the same issue. So, in that sense, it's the great level up. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter how wealthy you are or what status you have in society. We're all sinners, right? We all, we all need the cross. We all need forgiveness and redemption. So, it's incredibly inclusive in that regard. Um, one of the beautiful, beautiful things about it, you can go preach the gospel in the most affluent cities in the world and you can go preach it in the poorest ghettos of the world and it has exactly the same reading and exactly the same application to all people at all times. Um, but, but there is a huge condition with, within the, the message of the gospel, which is, of course, it's repentance. It's acknowledging that you're not a good person, that you can't attain goodness on your own and you can't attain salvation on your own apart from Christ. Without him, we're lost. We're all lost. Um, And I guess that is, we talk about exclusivity. There's an exclusive truth claim. Jesus was very clear, you know, um, yeah, uh, that no one... No one comes to the Father except through him. It was a, a very clear statement. Um, and that is the nature of truth. Truth is exclusive by nature. It's a truth claim that he made, and, and ultimately you, you have to deal with that truth claim. And, and that's where I love, like C.S. Lewis, he puts it in the form of Jesus was either he was who he claimed to be or he was uh, a lunatic, a madman, um, the greatest con man in history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was not in his right mind. Um, or he was a liar. 
was a flat-out liar, he was a lunatic, or he was Lord. That's the three options you've got. So it is. The gospel is It's very inclusive in one regard, and in another regard it's extremely narrow. And Jesus himself makes the comment in Matthew 7, probably one of the most sobering texts in the whole of Scripture, in my view anyway, uh, about the, the road and the path um, to, to destruction being very broad and very wide and there are many that, that travel on it and, and the path to life, to eternal life, very, being very narrow and, and, the, and there being very few that find it. We're getting off on a tangent here, but I, I could talk about this all day with you. Yeah, yeah. The, that is a sobering text and, and if it isn't sobering, got something wrong with you but the the thing that blew my mind about jesus was palm sunday they laid the thorns down in front of him the palm yeah the palm leaves okay six days later they crucified him yeah didn't take long so he he was a very polarizing individual for people and i think that when you when you look at his journey through the gospels and the accounts of the gospels of the man and the god jesus christ you you see that people either drew to him right the inclusive nature people were, were drawn to him or they repelled they were repelled by him yeah there wasn't any middle ground no they either followed him or they rebuked him yeah um that's right. And that, 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 that happened time and time again. Like people thought he was nuts. You know, when he started talking about his body and, and his blood and people were like, this guy's off his head. Yeah, yeah. Like he's, he's possessed by demons. I'm out of here. You know, yeah, like yeah. people were very... Yeah, he's crazy. He's, you know, yeah. and, and then you had that, was it the rich young ruler that came up and said, I've kept all my commands, I've kept all the laws, I've done all this, I've done all this, I've done all this. And what does he say at the end of that? He says, sell all your possessions. That's right. Me. And then he became sad he and says, walked he's away. sad and, and I mean, you never hear from him again after that. But then, and I was talking to I was talking to my brother about this last night. Your brother as well, funny. <laughs> and when Jesus was on the cross being crucified, you had two thieves either side of him, and you had the thief on the left and the thief on the right. And I think I've got this the right way. But the thief on the left was was rebuking him and 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 pretty much teasing him and scorning scorning him, him sure. and saying you're a fool. You are who you say. I get off the cross. Stop being. Stop talking rubbish. Mm. And then the thief on the right comes to his defense, doesn't he? And then Jesus says, says and then Jesus says to this man, who must have had a life of crime, Mm. because the Romans only reserved crucifixion for the worst criminals. Yeah. And so he had a life of crime. And in that very moment, Jesus looks at him in the eyes and says, "Today you'll be with me in paradise." So you get you get these. It's one of the most they're almost these cryptic, pictures of yeah. yeah, but you get these cryptic, like you get these sort of cryptic moments where you've got someone who's kept the law, they've kept the covenant to a T, a stand-up person of society, from what you can tell, and there doesn't seem to be any concession there. It's just like sell it all, follow me. That's the that's what we got to do. You know, there's no. But then you see almost a, a very different approach right. with someone who's been essentially a criminal all their life, yeah. have been in poor standing with society, yeah. and 
haven't followed the laws in any way, shape or form, right. the, the, the Jewish laws, mm. yet there is an instant grace yeah. upon that individual. Yeah. And, I and think do, you, do you know what that tells me? Sorry, I'll just finish that. Yeah, yeah. It is, you talk about truth, and, and what we're talking about tonight, we're talking about truth. The, yeah. th- this, is, this is ultimately what this is all about for me. And, and, and you meet people in life and they're truth seekers. And rightly or wrongly, they want to know the truth and they want to defend the truth. And more importantly, they want to defend the right to find and speak about truth. And that's, that's one of the most important things. And so, and so that's, that's what, if you think about this entire ideology right now, that is the, that is the bedrock of what worries me the most. Yeah. is that we can no longer discuss truth and we can no longer have honest, healthy discussions in the pursuit of truth yeah. between individuals. And I think, it, unfortunately, it's even worse than that because truth itself, unfortunately, is, is being deconstructed um, to the point, and this would, would be where the, more the postmodernism discussion would come into things, the breaking down of uh, truth itself and an objective truth that's knowable. So truth is no longer in our culture knowable in an objective sense. Everything is reduced to... Subjective truth. Yeah, to lived experience. That's right, to a subjective... um, Yeah, subjective relative truth. Um, And that makes it very hard to have discussions about any ultimate truths, including what we were just talking about, the ultimate truth of, let's say, God and, and Christianity and... And the gospel, right? One of the greatest truths of all time ever known um, on this earth. And I suppose if you were going to try and attack that and bring that down, one of the one of the most brilliant ways you would do that is by deceiving people into the belief, into the thinking that you actually can't define what's true and you can't know what's true. Because once you get to that point, then well, what is truth, and how do you know anything's true? Which is, which is funnily what Pilate asked Jesus. Yeah, it's it's the question. So, right? and that's been the question, the question for thousands of, of years. Yeah, you know, is is yeah. what is truth? Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, and who owns truth, and what is the source of all truth? Yeah, but well, we're getting a little philosophical. No, it's man, good. You can get me on some tangents, especially no, it's good. when you start talking. It's theology good, but I can tell you, it's right now. It's it's <laughs> philosophy. Right now, it's real Orwellian. Yeah, like very Orwellian. Yeah, that's why I want to get. I put up a a post on social media recently because I saw this the, the the best hat, um, the best hat I've seen in a long time. Yeah, and it was um. Make Orwell fiction again. <laughs> and I, I that is I, good. I, that's a hat I would wear. I, I me too. <laughs> yeah, I might buy. We'll get two for one. Yeah, sounds good. Um, sounds good. But that that does sum it up. You know, good to put a bit of levity in there. But that does sum it up a bit. You know, like. Yeah. It, it does it does seem we've it does seem we've fallen into madness. Yeah. Like it yeah. really does look like it's decayed into madness. Um and so it that's why it's more important than ever for people to speak up because this is, is this is a this is a war it, of ideas. It, I was going to say it's we've gone to the from the point of this is a dangerous or bad idea or this is potentially bad to we're in a war. We're in a war, in a contest of ideas. We're in the, you know, you hear it called the culture wars, right? Um, we are. It's a war. It's a war of ideas. It's a war for the soul of the West. It's a war for, for 
I guess, um, the truth itself that we're in. It's one of the greatest of all wars you could fight in a sense, but not a sword has been lifted in that sense, thankfully. But um, in terms of the realm of ideas and, and in the public square and, and where these ideas are being presented and contested, that there's a, a real war on and, and whether you like it or not, you're part of the war. We're all part of that war and we all have a choice to make on, on where we're going to stand in that war. And I, I want to say something as well that I, I am not in the business of making everyone think and believe what I believe. Right. I will have robust and honest discussions with individuals if they wish to engage me on truth. Mm-hmm. I do not expect everyone to think like me. I do not everyone. I do not expect everyone to have the same belief system as me. Right. Where the problem lies is that my belief system has not changed. Right. And I think you, you mentioned this last time. Yeah. Yet, yet they are changing the game of engagement around what I can and can't say. That's right. And that is what is most concerning to my way of life personally. And yeah. hopefully to people listening, you need to take control of your environment in the way in which you choose what you say and how you do it if you wish to preserve your way of life if it's anything like mine or Luke's. And that's why this is so important. That's why this platform's so important. You know, and, and people have asked me, why why do you do this? Like why <laughs> like right now, you know, this is a Saturday night. Yeah, it takes time, it takes um, energy, it takes effort. My my girls my girls are in bed by now. Um, my wife's probably tried to call me five times, but <laughs> I don't answer the phone when I'm cast when I'm when I'm doing recordings. But you know, wh- why do these things? Well, I'm actually doing it for my family. I'm doing it for my kids. I'm doing it to preserve our culture. I'm doing it to preserve our way of life. I'm doing yeah. it in the preservation of truth. Yeah. I want to see men have the opportunity to be teached and and to be trained and to be equipped, um, equipped yeah. and to grow mm. and to be able to have those honest conversations without being cancelled mm. or without having a list of. Um, compelled speech to be included or or, or 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 disallowed speech to be included in those discussions or, or excluded I should say or omitted so it's not a game you know I don't, I don't mean to be too 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 negative and I suppose too deep about it <laughs> too heavy bit I mean look it is a heavy it's a heavy subject there's no it is a heavy subject and, you know, uh, I'll, I'll there's a lot at stake here I'll find a comedian for the next episode <laughs> or something but yeah that, that's probably not me but <laughs> yeah I mean hey, um, we've all got our we've all got what we've got to do you know yeah that's um, it. so I think that um it's it, it is a war of ideas and it's yeah. never been the price has never been higher I do think as well right now, you know, when you look at the geopolitics of the world, it's never been more fragile than it has been right now in yeah. the past, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah, we're in a, a, um, a very uncertain time. Yeah. A, a lot of flux. The world's in state of flux at the moment. And I challenge someone to tell me that the East has not been laughing at the West oh. over the past 20 to 30 years. And if we have yeah. not been caught napping now, well, I don't know what it yeah, is. We, we've been so preoccupied with, um, you know, let's say, gay marriage rights, um, figuring out if a man's really a man or a woman's really a woman. Um, Deconstructing our own... Yeah, deep, you know, truth itself. Um, All this stuff, it's like... Yeah, I mean, if you had adversaries, they they couldn't be happier with that. I mean, we are totally obsessed and preoccupied with these these issues, and this is the weakness of the West. The West needs to be very careful. 
because uh, I think, without getting too far down the track of geopolitics, which is another great discussion that I love, but yeah, uh, yeah, I'll just say this much: um, with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, I think it's been a bit of a wake-up call to the West. I think so. Hey, guys, uh, probably not not the time to be worrying about um, whether transgender rights need to be dealt with or whether females um, can become men and things like this. Um, actually, we need to make sure we can defend our society and our nations and, and our identity and who we actually are. And one of the problems that the West is going to face is uh, we're so critical on ourselves now and this, this culture war has been so um, deleterious in its prosecution of the West and the West's foundations and heritage that it runs a risk of losing who we are. We don't know who we are anymore and what we stand for anymore, particularly on the, on the moral value sense when you throw out God, when you throw out objective moral values and you're left with a sea of relativity and everyone defining for themselves their own moral system and values. I mean, the breakdown of the family, and I can go on and on, right? Um, but when you lose all that stuff and when you throw all that away, it becomes very hard to know what you're fighting for anymore and what your values really are. And one of the great things, you look at the great leaders of the past, you know, you look at guys like Churchill, they knew what they were fighting for. They knew it was very clearly defined what way of life they were protecting and yeah. what freedoms they were fighting for and, yeah. and, and that kind of thing. And, and I, I think... We do run a real risk of getting lost in that malaise of we, we've just been so, so preoccupied with this other garbage for probably 30 years now. Um, yeah, we need to be careful. I think uh, it's a wake-up call for the West. Funny you mentioned Churchill. Um, Douglas Murray talks about the, the cancelling of... Uh, Churchill's a, a personal hero of mine. Like I, I love Churchill. I've loved, I've read his biographies and mm. autobiographies and... Mm some of the campaigns he was involved in, more, but more importantly, the the man who was... <laughs> the man they didn't want, but they had to have. Right. The accidental... Know, uh, the accidental, you know, and, and who, who had failed to a degree, you know, in, in previous mm. um, roles and responsibilities, both in Parliament and, and in the Admiralty and so on. And 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 that that's someone that people are cancelling. Yeah, it you is. You know, that they're ripping down statues of that man. Yeah. You know the irony. That's why I said last, I think in our last discussion, I, I said yeah, these people are ignorant of history completely. But, but, but do you know the irony in that? Is that Winston Churchill was a critical part of preserving the freedoms in the West. Yeah. That those, those freedoms very people are now were. being used yeah. to destroy, deface, right. discredit mm. those heroes of history who were not perfect. No. Who no. had... who had Definitely had their flaws. They had their flaws. They had their demons. Mm. They had issues. Mm. I think, I think can, can rational people sit in the room and agree on that? Yeah, yeah. Does that mean you go around um, putting fecal matter on their statues and ripping them down? Mm. Probably not. No. Um, because the other thing as well is that the history serves not only to give you... Um, the historical context of where we've come from, but more importantly, to understand the past and to understand where we can improve, you must have a constant reminder. The Holocaust Museum exists not to honour the Holocaust, mm. 
but to pre- to present a reminder to those who did not live through that age mm. of one what happened mm. but two of the horrors on an intimate level so that it will not be repeated right and in the, in the in the the vain hope that we could learn from our history correct. learn something from correct. It so that we never so, repeat it so Douglas Murray talks about this what are we going to replace it with yeah what are we replacing it with that's yeah. what i want to know yeah so look, well, we're, we're deconstructing everything right yeah. okay do away with captain cook yeah. do away with colonization so what are we going to replace it with and more importantly there's a big one as well is what's the what's the price of our sins so if, if we can't make recompense mm. with regards to the the horrors of the past restitution restitution yeah. right yeah what what's do we return all colonized countries back to their indigenous owners mm. is that what we do mm. Mm. that's not is that is that is that what we do so we say okay um the Inuits you take over back over you know um, up through Canada and up through there, you know it's the impossible. It's what, what's, you, can, you, can't can someone, tooth, you can't put the toothpaste and back and in I'm the tube. And I'm being right? a bit facetious. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that can someone tell me what it is? Yeah. Because if it's not sorry, if it's not if it's not to give titles of land back to to what you can and or financial restitution, okay, or acknowledgement, mm. okay, welcome to country and all these. Mm. What is it? Well, my question is where where does it end? Where where does it end? Where, at what point is is it enough? And I don't think the problem is it can never be enough. The solution is forgiveness. Is the solution is forgiveness, mm. right? And I know in this country we haven't reached that that point yet. Yeah, it, it has to be forgiveness because there's no way you can ever turn back to the annals of history and no, correct no. those and, mistakes. And, right? and, 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 and I'm and sure we'd all love to. We we would. Right? Yeah, uh, I'm sure we would. I'm sure. Most people listening to this would, um, hopefully all of them, but uh, the reality is that's that's not the world in which we live and that's not how things work. So uh, there has to be a point at which you say, okay, um, we recognise what happened was wrong in, in cases it was abhorrent and should never have happened. Um, and there were egregious things that took place. Mm. Um that could that could never be made right in some senses, but this is where, and I would I would argue there's a there's a gospel implication here. It's it's the idea of forgiveness because yeah. that's the only ultimate cleansing that you're going to have for something like that. It has to be at a, at a deep level um, where there is a recognition that yeah, you wronged me, and this is where it comes back. It comes back to the picture of the cross. All of us are in need of forgiveness. None of us deserved it, right? But Christ laid his life down for us while we were still yet sinners. Mm. He didn't have to do that. He did that by choice. That's the example that was set for all time, right? And, and it's not that there aren't consequences for these things and that there shouldn't be attempts to, to make things right. Of course there should be. But none of that is ever going to actually fix everything and make it the way that it was or should have been. And there has to be a recognition, and that's where the forgiveness comes in. There has to be the ability to forgive and, and, move, to, forward. and to move forward. Mm. That's exactly right. Mm. So, Another question I've got for you. Do, you. do you think we live in a society of free speech? Um, or do you think it's dangerously close? I don't think so anymore. No, I, I honestly... Really? I, yeah, I honestly think particularly over the last, say, 20 years, there's been a serious erosion of that. And I think we've 
lost more free speech than we're willing to admit. I think, as I pointed out earlier, I think when you get to the point of our um, senior bureaucrats in levels of government that are literally afraid to say what a woman is, I think I think we've lost some free speech there. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that people are feeling that they cannot express things that they actually think are true, but go against the cultural narrative of the day. And I, I think it's a, it's a worrying position that we're in. And that's why we need more people to speak out more often and more clearly with the truth, and not their truth, the truth. There's a difference. And to prosecute that, because that's the only way that I think we're going to see pushback against this and we're going to see the tide turn but it's a very very serious issue i think we're a little bit oblivious to our true state with regard to that issue right now and i don't think we fully understand how much of that we've probably lost how do you get that back because losing losing fundamental privileges like free speech or freedom of speech yeah i mean don't get me wrong i think we're still freer than probably most of the countries in the world, right? Sure. Especially the West as a whole is still yeah. more free than a lot of other places. So depends, of course, everything's relative. But if you look at the West itself compared to the West itself 50 years ago, we've lost a lot in that domain. I think free media too has been a big one. Yeah. Um, I mean, look at the... I mean, if you just look at platforms like Twitter and Facebook and the amount of censorship going on there... Particularly against those... Oh, shadow banning and stuff. Yeah, the, unbelievable. That, the Conservatives are just getting smashed, like with shadow banning and just flat-out censorship. Um, yeah, it's it's a worry. And those are the platforms of our day. Those are the... those are the pub, That's the public square of our day almost now these days. So they're critically important and they're almost into the domain of government needs to have some sort of maybe regulation of these these things. I, I wish... I, wish I, I hate I, to say that word, regulation, yeah. but... Because yeah. I'm a I'm a free enterprise man, right? I'm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, there comes a point where, when these companies control so much of the landscape and have so much influence, and you've got guys like Zuckerberg and Dorsey um, pulling the strings on what's going on behind the scenes with secret algorithms and all this kinds of stuff, like it, it's having a major effect on politics and all kinds of things. So. Yeah, it's not. It's not good. It's not healthy. I really wish I was being shadow banned. It would explain. <laughs> it would explain my really rubbish following and how small it is. <laughs> Maybe you are I'm being secretly uh, shadow banned. No, I'm not. I'm well, not. you're gonna be very Just happy no one, with um, <laughs> No one cares. You're gonna be very happy with Elon because Elon has promised when he um, takes over Twitter to make all the uh, algorithms open source, so we can all see how the algorithms actually work. Uh, is that right? Very interesting. Yes, that is interesting. And it'll also it'll need also, him in YouTube, mate. It'll also show us they do. YouTube's the worst. It is. It is the worst. But the funny thing about that is, it will show us exactly how the algorithms have been working. Historical. Historically, so we can know what how things actually have been going on. Some, someone's <laughs> getting fired. Mm, I think there's a very few, a lot of nervous people in Twitter right now. God. <laughs> That's crazy. True. True. He's going to make it public. He's going to make the algorithm open source so everyone can see how it works. Um, so that's 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 what he said he's going to do. So I, I I really hope he does follow. You know, Elon. 
Elon has the he has the capex to change the world. He does. That is the level of finances he has at his disposal. He yeah. can change the world. Yeah. He's got he's got the wealth to do that and the influence to do that, the power to do that. That's what wealth gives you, right? Yeah, but it's 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 not always for a good. It's thing, an unprecedented operating budget for an individual. <laughs> I'll say that it's it is. it is. He's done pretty well. Yeah, me and you had a good <laughs> laugh about him um, colonizing Mars. Well, you can just go, yep, yeah, forty three billion. And I'd love to tweet to him, although he wouldn't read it. But uh, you and I had a good laugh about him colonizing Mars, and that he needs to um, cleanse the woke virus before he colonizes because it could spread. <laughs> <laughs> it could spread. Trans- sp- he thinks he's going to save humanity by transporting to us to Mars, world. but if he's got workism on, on board, they're doomed. <laughs> <laughs> So that's got to uh, be his number one priority. Is just make he's got to do um, psychoanalysis on those guys before. He's not know. backwards about coming forwards. He likes to troll people. Oh yeah, doesn't mind. Doesn't mind a dig. Loves a troll. He doesn't pull any punches. I'll have to get back on now. I've, I haven't been on Twitter for some. It's years. quite. It's it's worth. I got off there because it was just gutter trash. Well, it still is. Yeah. I, I think. I think Twitter but is. But I think it's got some hope now of becoming maybe something yeah. a bit more normal. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. But you just got to be careful. Careful who you follow. Yeah. Um, if you follow the right people, um, you can cap some of it. You're being required at home, are you? No, I'm just going to go. Yeah, I'm going to have to. Uh, yeah. But, um, no, nah, man, that's been good. I, as I said, I really appreciate you you jumping on here for another one. I think that this will probably keep going. I'll keep inviting you to you say no. <laughs> um, Thanks, and, brother. And again, you know, it's great to, it's great to have people offer their time and their resources and their experience more importantly on on this this channel on this platform and on this movement and and i suppose it's never been more important for people to be honest and truthful about their ideas because this is a war of ideas yeah it and is. and Absolutely i think we're is. probably losing yeah uh, I, I think that's probably a fair assessment at the moment but i think there's plenty of, there's still hope there's plenty of hope yeah yeah know, for sure and then the world the world's a phenomenal place in regards yeah. to, you know, we're getting a lot of things right. It's not all doom and gloom. That's right, yeah. But make no mistake about it, this is high stakes. Mm. And uh, and the truth has never been more important. So I really appreciate right. you coming on, brother, and, and spending your time. And and hopefully people get some value out of this. And, and as they listen to this content and it continues to challenge them and and certainly, you know, to the point of this platform is sharpen them and, and, um, and get them in a better spot to lead their families and, Absolutely. Their colleagues and their businesses, and that's right, and their friends. Thanks, brother. I know it's a privilege to come on and um, be part of this uh, this platform. So thank you for having me again, and um, it's been a treat. So hopefully I'll be back. No worries, man. We'll see. Talk but, soon. Uh, yeah, look forward to it. Cheers, mate. Bye.